in connection with the question, what do we know about the truthfulness of God from the Bible, we have been considering certain objections that are raised against the absolute truthfulness of God from some biblical representations of the actions, reactions, and commands of the members of the Godhead. In the third place, it is affirmed that the truthfulness of the Bible is challenged concerning the revelations of the essential nature of God in the matter of what are called anthropomorphisms. Now, a anthropomorphism is the ascribing of human characteristics to deity. On the one hand, we are told in the Bible that God is a purely spiritual being without physical or material parts or without a basic bodily manifestation. Our Lord Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, as in John chapter 4 and verse 24. After our Lord's resurrection, he said, A spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have, as in Luke 24, 39. The Apostle Paul called God the invisible God in Colossians 1.15 and wrote a great doxology involving the same term as recorded in First Epistle to Timothy chapter 1 and verse 17. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul affirmed in 1 Timothy 6.16 that no man has seen God at any time. Referring to verse 14, we read Paul's admonition to Timothy, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. John the Apostle had also affirmed the same thing in the first chapter of his gospel and verse 18. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. God hath so spoken to Moses, as recorded in the 33rd chapter of Exodus and verse 20. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. In the Ten Commandments, you recall, one of the commandments was devoted unto the spirituality of God and prohibiting the making of any materialistic representations of God of any form. We read this in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. This was because God was a spiritual being 
and could not be represented properly by any materialistic object. Thus beyond question, the Bible represents God as an immaterial and incorporeal substance. While we cannot to any proper degree comprehend such a nature in God, we can understand something in analyzing our own consciousness in that we have a personal identity apart from our bodies. We are conscious of this. We are conscious that we as personalities are inhabiting and using these bodies of ours. When death overtakes us, the body weighs the same as it did before, does it not? But the spirit or animating life has departed. We are a part, therefore, of the great spiritual realm and have been created in the moral image of God. However, there are materialistic representations of God in the Bible. For example, a God is said to have such bodily parts as the following. We have read in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20 where the face of the Lord is referred to. Also in verse 11, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And so in the first book of Kings and chapter 8 and verse 29, we have the reference to the eyes of the Lord. That thine eyes may be open toward this house night and day, even toward the place of which thou hast said, My name shall be there, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place. The scripture describes Solomon's great prayer at the dedication of the temple. And in the 16th chapter of Second Chronicles, and verse 9, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. In the first chapter of Nehemiah, and verse 6, we have a reference to the ears of the Lord. Let thine ear now be attentive, and thine eyes opened, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. What a humble confession and acknowledgement of sin this was. Certainly there is no possibility of forgiveness and salvation apart from such a repentance and acknowledgement of sin. So here we have the analogy set forth of the ears of the Lord. In the 18th Psalm and verse 8, we have reference to the mouth of the Lord. There went up a smoke out of his nostrils, and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. Here the righteous indignation of God is referred to. We also notice the nasal parts referred to. Also in 2 Samuel 22 and verse 16. And the channels of the sea appeared, and the foundations of the world were discovered at the rebuking of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Here the judgment of God is likened unto a blast of the nostrils of God. 
in the 52nd chapter of Isaiah. And verse 10, we have a reference to the arms of the Lord. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. In the 65th chapter of Isaiah, and verse 2, we have reference to the hands of the Lord. I have spread out my hands all the day unto a rebellious people, which walketh in a way that was not good, after their own thoughts. Incidentally, is this not a pathetic manifestation of the great and profound God, inviting men to turn from sin and enter into a blessed and happy fellowship with him in the forgiveness of sin. Also in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1 and verse 10, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall wax old as doth a garment and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Here then we also have a reference to the hands of the Lord. In the third chapter of Genesis, in verse 8, God is said to have walked in the garden as he sought and had fellowship with Adam and Eve. In the 18th Psalm again, in verse 9, we read, he bowed the heavens also, and came down, and darkness was under his feet. So, the idea of feet, or a walking possibility, is ascribed to God. In the 33rd chapter of Exodus, and verse 23, we have the reference to the backward parts of God. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Then there are the more obvious figures of speech, uh, such as the 91st Psalm, which indeed has a blessed truth asserted for those who love God, but here we have some very obvious figures. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Here we end. We have feathers and wings referred to in re alluding to the great and glorious care of God. So the Bible, in making positive statements on the spiritual nature of God's existence, leaves it to the common sense of the reader to understand that these many materialistic references are figures of speech for the purpose of making the truth of God more vivid and understandable. They are not to be taken literally, certainly, as reasonable readers should understand. We know from the Bible that God possesses a moral nature. So when the Bible reveals the inner workings of God's being, as we have previously discussed, we are not justified in placing these many moral actions in the category of the materialistic reference to members of a body. We cannot say that these are anthropomorphisms. And so the Bible does not regard it necessary 
to qualify each physical term used in referring to the essential nature of God, since the intelligence of the reader will supply this. Thus no objection to truthfulness can reasonably be raised in such instances. So we have the various references to the materialistic aspects of our consciousness as relating to God in an endeavor to make the great being of God more intelligible to us. But we are to be guided by the assertion that God is a great spiritual being, and while we cannot comprehend this, we can certainly understand something of the realm of the spiritual life. And God indeed invites us to turn from all sin and have fellowship with his great and glorious being. And God has manifested his willingness to humble himself and to have such pleasant and happy associations with us. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for thy love and kindness to us that thou hast taken pains to give us the Bible, thy precious word, that we might be enlightened thereby as to thy nature and as to thy character. And we thank thee for the invitation that thou dost see us as we really are and dost invite us to repent of all our sin. How we pray that many may do so, coming to Christ by faith and find forgiveness and restoration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.